In every generation, there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. Welcome to Conversations with Dead People, a post-mortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. I'm your host, Paul Smith, uh, and this week we've reached the midpoint of the first season of Angel, with episodes 110, Parting Gifts, 111, Somnambulist, and 112, Expecting. Uh, and with me this time, uh, Brazilian fan community organizer and friend of the show, Johnny Ho. Welcome back, Johnny. Hello, Paul. Hello, everyone. I'm back fr- after... A long while. It's been a while. It has been a while. Minutes. I mean, it's it's been a while since I've even done an episode of this show uh, for various reasons, but it has been quite a while since I've had you on the mic. So welcome back. Thank you. Um, I think the last time we spoke with you on mic was, was pre-apocalypse. Pre-friendo meltdown, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2019 probably. Yeah. So um, how are you doing? Are you alive? I'm alive, working from home since March 2020. Nice. Appreciating that the fact that I can do that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I mean, yeah. You're not going stir crazy or anything, are you? No, not really. I I can handle being isolated, so it's not a big issue for me. Cool. I know a lot of people have been going stir crazy, particularly it seems in my area of the world where nobody wants to stay indoors. They just want to be out congregating with other people, no matter how unsafe it is. Fortunately, my wife and I are fine with being introverted shut-ins. So we've been managing better than some people. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're not like pulling your hair out or anything desperate to get out. I still wish I could go to the, boom, to the big screen to the movie sometimes, but... right. Right. Considering how we're doing right now, better not. Yeah. Um, it's so weird that, uh, well, first let me ask, um, I know the answer. Behind the scenes uh, stuff for the fans, <laughs> Johnny and I have already talked about this. But for the fans, for the listeners, um, I just want to clarify, have you been vaccinated? Not yet. Not yet. We're a longer way away from that here in Brazil, so... So you, I'm almost 40, so it would take a lot of three or four months for people around 40 to get vaccinated. So three or four <laughs> months. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I feel really guilty now uh, about <laughs> the fact that I complained for as long as I did that it was taking so long for me to be eligible for the vaccine. And uh, so I have been fully vaccinated. Um, I persist in wearing a mask and i will continue to wear a mask in fact when this whole thing started i remember back in march of 2020 there were people saying that um you know maybe this will just become the normal that people will just like i know in a lot of Asia, south asian countries uh a lot of people just wear masks 
Like it's just, it's kind of normal practice and people, exactly. people here in the spoiled United States of America were like, that would never happen. We will never do that. And here I am, uh, a year and a half into it. And I'm like, you know what? I think I just probably will continue to wear a mask no matter what the CDC says. I'm pretty comfortable wearing a mask now and I'm pretty uncomfortable being in the presence of anybody without a mask. So that is something that my aunt back in Taiwan does, does a lot, even before it was a thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I, that part might be here to stay. Uh, I know some people, yourself included, are kind of crossing their fingers that the whole working from home thing persists, <laughs> even if this pandemic ever gets under control. I do get better hours out do of you? working from home. Do yeah. You? Nice. I get more normal hours. Do, are you are you allowed to sort of set your hours? Like, do you have a, a chunk of work and as long as you get that done? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Provided I complete what I have to do. Excellent. Well, then it works out. Exactly. Um, okay. So um, I feel like I was going somewhere with that and I don't know where it was. <laughs> so I guess I'll just pull us back into the show now. Um, yeah. So I, I said at the top that we're discussing three episodes of Angel today, parting gifts, somnambulist, and expecting. Um, let me throw out a spoiler warning for anybody who, for some reason, might be listening to this having not watched Angel. Uh, I just want to let listeners know that um, we will be discussing the plots, characters, and themes of each of these episodes in depth and within the cons- the context of the series as a whole, which means there will be spoilers not only for these three episodes, but potentially for the entire series. So, just be aware of that. Ideally, you will have watched Angel all the way through. Um, and Buffy, ideally, because who knows? We might reference Buffy, too. So if that's not the case and you're worried about it, press pause. Go watch what you need to watch and come back. We'll be here in perpetuity. We're never going anywhere. Johnny and I will just sit here and wait. You let us know when you're ready. <laughs> um, pause and press play when you're ready. Right. Yeah. So uh, with that out of the way... Johnny, if you're ready, let's go to work. So I'm gonna we're gonna start with Parting Gifts, which originally aired on December fourteenth, nineteen ninety nine. Uh, it was written by David Fury and Janine Renshaw, and directed by James A. Contner. And Johnny, how do you feel about this episode? It's a lot. It's the episode that finally brings Wesley into the fold. Thank God. And a lot of, but it's. It's the early Wesley, which is a lot more lighthearted before right. the big changes that are coming later in the latest season of Angel. And also the writers and, and directors are some of the veterans from, from the franchise. So right. we have them writing a little bit, doing a lot of callbacks to what happened between Cordy and Wesley back on season three of Buffy mm-hmm. with all the kisses and awkwardness. <laughs> and... Wesley being just a funny guy, very, uh, very clumsy. Yeah. I think that's the word, very clumsy and trying to prove that he can do this without the Watchers Council. Right. Yes. So in the previous episode, we said a tearful goodbye to my beloved Doyle. It was, it's a, it is a shame that the series could not hang on to him for whatever reason. Um, it's a shame that we had to say goodbye to Doyle. Um, it was very emotional, and I will continue to miss him for a long, long time. But 
uh, to fill the void left behind, they did bring in Alexis Denisoff. They brought back Alexis Denisoff as Wesley Wyndham Price, whom I adore. And um, through 71 episodes of this podcast, I have maintained that Spike is like my favorite Whedonverse character. Um, so if I haven't already, now is my opportunity to hedge that a little bit and say Spike is one of my favorite Weedonverse characters. He's in my top three, and those three sort of shift around from time to time. But Wesley um, is in that top three, consistently in the top one, the top spot. And uh, because this is his introduction to the show, and I'm very high on Wesley right now, I will say Wesley Wyndham Price is and uh, will continue to be my favorite universe character. Um, Both of our watchers have a very interesting journey from the very tight person, both Giles and Wesley. Yeah. So they were both very tight person when they started the shows and then they, they get into a journey when during season three, Giles was already more advanced as the character. So Wesley, back in season three of Buffy, he was a foil to that, being even tighter, being very by the book. Right. And now we have his introduction to Angel, still a little bit of the comedic foil, and we will watch his journey throughout the next four and a half season, four and a half years, in which he will change a lot. Yes. Yeah. The. Um... A lot of people have uh, commented on the fact that Wesley's arc across this series is one of the most complex and in many, many ways uh, satisfying character arcs, like of any character on either show, Buffy or Buffy or Angel. Um, and yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the the he was the foil to Giles, because that kind of was his initial reason for being is they just wanted uh, a counterpoint to Giles to remind people how like just goofy and out of his depth Giles was at the beginning of the series. And so they brought in Wesley who was maybe even more so. Uh, and by contrast showed how cool Giles had become. Giles exactly. was the, the cool uh, father <laughs> figure. And um, yeah, so he was, he didn't get an awful lot of space on Buffy to flesh out uh, his character um, from this point on, from this episode on, he is in all but one episode of the entire series of angel from this point on, he only misses a single episode and it's not till season five. So we get a lot of time to spend with Wesley over the next uh, four and a half seasons. And his arc is tremendous. And he goes to some incredible and heartbreaking places. But uh, for the time being, he's still the sort of lovable dork, Wesley. Although they do play with us, uh, with our expectations of Wesley, uh, and it's glorious. I love the way he's introduced. So he's introduced as the rogue demon hunter. Yes. What is a rogue demon? He's introduced as the, the motorcycle riding, badass, like leather wearing demon assassin. And um, the the client 
that Angel Investigations takes on in this episode is on the run from this demon hunter who's relentless. He's like a machine. I love the allusions to Terminator, since all we see is yes. Wesley's leather-clad legs and his boots on and a motorcycle. Bike. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> motorcycle. He's like a machine. He's unstoppable. I can't get away from him. Um, who, seriously, in season three of Buffy, whoever thought Wesley would be compared to the Terminator? <laughs> Another character who gets a start for a shift into her journey is Cordelia. Yes. Because she gets basically the visions from Doyle. Yeah, so the episode title, Parting Gifts. Um, addressing that. Yeah, addresses that. I mean, you could, if you wanted to, if you want to squint a little bit, you could say maybe Parting Gifts also references the the demonic gifts that have been parted from their original hosts for the auction. But that's a stretch. Obviously it's a reference to the fact that Doyle with that magical mystical kiss that he gave Cordy at the end of hero uh, transferred his visions. Um, And she doesn't respond well to it at first. (laughs) It takes a while to her to really be comfortable in that role. Yeah. And it's a journey till, I think, season five when she dies. Right. It's questionable how good is that journey. There, oh, there are a lot of highs yeah. and lows in that journey, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we did get one final... Glenn Quinn, like Glenn Quinn stayed in the opening titles for this episode. And that might've been, you know, just out of respect for Glenn Quinn. Um, it might've been because it was just too soon and they, and they hadn't had time to update the opening credits. Um, I personally think it was both, uh, a respect, a show of respect for Glenn Quinn, but also to fake us out. Uh, the, the viewers who were watching it for the very first time, they might, have still we might still have believed there was a chance that Doyle could come back. I mean, lots of characters on these shows die off and then come back somehow or whatever. So Angel himself, right? Exactly. Like two years ago, <laughs> exactly. So keeping him in the opening credits um, might have been a way of sort of you know faking us out, thinking, oh, he's still he's still in credits. Maybe he's not off the show. They do kind of blow a little bit of the surprise by including Alexis Denisov's name in the opening credits as a, as a guest. So um, I cannot remember my initial watch of this. If seeing his name, assuming I even noticed his name, but if I had noticed his name as a guest, I don't know if that meant I was predicting this crazy Terminator demon hunter was going to be Wesley. Unlikely. I don't think I would have believed that, but still it's, Interesting how many times on Buffy they would leave, you know, a special guest cast to the closing credits. And they wouldn't sh- wouldn't reveal it in the opening. Um, it's just odd that they put his name up top in this episode. For the viewers who were watching but not following the spoilers, mm-hmm. they could have thought there was a one-off one-off guest guest appearance by 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 Lexis. Right. However, for the people following the spoilers, they already knew that. He was kind of announced as the guy who would be joining the show back what? then. 
Was he? I, yeah. for, I forget that you really had your your finger on the pulse of all that stuff when the, it was happening. The spoiler guys, they already knew all about him joining the show. I think there was a, I think there eventually came a time towards the end of both shows where I was a little more plugged in and aware of spoilers. Like I, I, when, when Spike died on Buffy and made the jump to Angel, I knew that was happening. I was in on all that. I really don't think they kept that, even attempted to keep that secret. But anyways, at this point, I don't think I was online enough and certainly not, uh, you know, in touch with spoilers enough. So I don't think I knew at the time that Wesley was going to officially make the jump to Angel. But um, I also don't remember how excited I was. I mean, I always loved Wesley as a comic foil, but obviously none of us had any clue where it was going to lead. So my unabashed love of Wesley has only grown as the, as the character's arc gets more and more deep and dark. Um, But at the time I was probably just excited to see goofy Wesley back. Um, It was, it was sort of of a tonal shift if you think a little bit about it, just come from, a few uh, hero was a heavier episode, and right. then with tonal shift into parting gifts. Yeah, they. I mean, the episode does a a pretty good job of showing the emotional impact. So the episode opens with Angel going to the powers that be again. Um, the ridiculous looking powers that be, or actually, it's not the powers that be. It's the, the oracles. oracles I think. The oracles. The oracles yeah. who are the avatars or something for the powers that be right with really goofy uh, Las Vegas body paint. <laughs> but anyways, so he goes to them again. Um, and if you look closely, I think he even offers uh, a wristwatch as a gift the way he did last time. Cause the, yeah. the, the woman Oracle is holding up a watch unless she's still just fascinated with the watch he gave her last time. She is looking at a watch this time. Like he brought another one, but Anyway, so he goes to try and petition for them to bring Doyle back to life because he knows they have the power to do that. And um, this is one of those things that could have felt like just a contrivance, just a, a a plot convenient way to keep from having to bring the actor back. Uh, but I feel like it actually makes sense when they when when the oracles point out that you know we can do this kind of thing, but it takes a sacrifice. Like you were willing to make a sacrifice and I will remember you. Angel was willing to make a pretty dramatic sacrifice in order to empower that resetting of the timeline. And in this case, they would actually be undoing a sacrifice, Doyle's sacrifice in order to bring him back. And, uh, and you know, they, they, at one point, the, they say, you know, he died so that you lived, so that you can live. And the other one says, and you can live so that many others can live or whatever. So I don't know. It felt, um, it, it was one of the times when they try to pull that thing where I'm like, okay, that actually makes sense. I actually buy that. I still miss Doyle, but I actually buy that in-universe explanation. Later on, I think it was season four, season five, we see what would happen if Angel was the one who inherited the visions instead of Cordelia. 
oh, yeah. was actually an interesting point of view compared to what we see this episode with her starting to get these visions during, especially, the, I think the first one was during that audition. Yes. She was in the middle of the audition and she just get a migraine and attack for the first vision she's getting. And then she start kissing everyone to try to get rid of it. As if that was the... Yeah, so that was a rules of engagement. That was a great little gimmick because we got the officially the first kiss between Angel and Cordy, um, and it's even played. There's a lot of sort of misrepresentation going, deliberate misrepresentation going on in the acting in this episode, just to to allow for the the comic reveal. And uh, that was one where Cordy walks into the office and looks. Maybe a little bit, I don't know, sultry, the way she's looking at Angel and the way she walks up to him. And it's very, it looks like a passionate, she reaches up and takes the back of his head and pulls him in for a kiss or whatever. Uh, And then, of course, it's revealed that she was just, she didn't care. (laughs) She felt nothing. She was just trying to pass along those visions. Just trying to foist these visions off on someone else. Um, But that was, I mean, there will be more Angel and Cordy kisses, but that was the first. Um, that was the first. And like you said, we get the second Wesley and Cordy kiss since they've already awkward kiss. <laughs> yes. They've already played Very this out kiss. once before. Um, and yeah, it, it was also awkward. And Wesley was really into it both times. Like Wesley really, uh, she gives the aw- awkward kiss and they're both sort of, uh, um, you know, not sure what's going on. And then Wesley just gets into it and like grabs her and pulls her to him. And he's going to go all the way with this. And she's like, no, no, nothing didn't work. Back to this episode, we get a lot of misdirections, not only from all the introductions, the, all the introductions we got from Wesley, with them doing the Terminator bits. Yeah. But then we have mm, the reveal that the Barney guy, the, that was their clients was actually one of the villains mm-hmm. and he There's... was the one he was the guy actually be, behind the attacks against other demons to collect their powers to sell in this auction right yeah uh, uh, another misdirect another uh, sort of twist um, that this episode does a bunch of and they're all good but like you find out that he was being chased but he was being chased by, uh, well, I mean, I guess he probably was being chased by Wesley, but Wesley thought he was chasing that Kurgai demon. Exactly. Uh, and so obviously the big muscular sort of monstrous looking demon is the one that everybody believes is going to be the villain. And, uh, but he's a victim, but he's a victim. Um, and I do appreciate that scene where Angel goes to find him and they're probably in Chinatown, something like that, or Koreatown. Uh, the Koreatown, and he's yeah. actually And he actually speaks Korean with with, with the people there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, so that was, act, like, he was actually speaking that, right? That wasn't... I don't know. I'm not fluent Korean. Uh, okay. I do appreciate that they showed David Brianna speaking Korean or, some, or something close to Korean. Right, right, right. I mean, so the people there. I, I would hope that they that, you know, they did it right. and It wasn't just sort of TV, like TV Korean or whatever. I would hope that. Uh, but uh, Boreana is actually I don't know. 
how if he's fluent, I, I have no idea, or if he just phonetically learned those lines. But he seemed pretty confident, and and he it didn't look yeah yeah it didn't look like he was struggling to say those lines. So that was cool. Um, so yeah, Barney's the bad guy, but he does get one moment. I mean, it's it's a transition into the reveal that he's actually sinister, but when he's got that when he has that talk with Cordy about how Doyle had left her the most valuable possession that he had, um, that was actually insightful and moving. And, and I, I appreciate the fact that, um, we got to hear somebody say that about Doyle and Cordy had enough time to sort of let that sink in before the twist was thrown at her. But, um, so Barney's uh, a putz, <laughs> but it, in that one moment, at least, the fact that he's an empathy demon uh, allowed him to be really insightful and helpful. During the auction, we get to deal with very not a different Wolfram and Hart lawyer, very different from Lindsay or I don't know how I don't remember how many lawyers was, were actually introduced at this point in the show, but we keep dealing with different lawyers. I think that's very valuable to see to show how how large. Yeah, the the law they are as a company, so you're not just dealing with one or two lawyers. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't think we ever see that particular lawyer again. I don't think so. I don't think she comes back. But uh, I agree. It, it's it's always good to see uh, fresh evil lawyer faces on the show. <laughs> um, eventually, we're going to settle into sort of a revolving cast of regulars. Uh, yes. We'll get Gavin, uh, Lindsay, Lila, but. Uh, at least for this first season, I think we, I think by the end of this season, we see several more sort of disposable Wolfram and Hart lawyers. Red shirt lawyers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Red shirt lawyers. Exactly. Um, so let's see. Uh, this is the first time this episode is the first episode where we hear, and it's, it's, um, Barney who actually says it, but this is the first time we hear, uh, help the helpless. Yes. Up till now, it's always been help the hopeless. And I've kind of, I don't think I've said anything about it, but I've kind of struggled a little bit with that, with that, because I would swear that I remembered it being help the helpless. And I did not remember that it had initially for the first 10 episodes, it really was help the hopeless. Uh, and then we just gradually get this shift. So I do know that, uh, they continue to use Help the Hopeless for a little while in season one, but I think by season two onward, it becomes what I always remembered it as. Exactly. So interesting that that comes from the Empathy Demon uh, Monster of the Week. <laughs> um, also, I think it's worth pointing out that we are... I cannot remember when he comes in. I think it's in early season two when we get Lorne. Yes. Okay. Um, so we're still half a season away from meeting the next empathy demon, but I just like they. So I, I wonder if a lot of people think that empathy demon is the name of, of Barney's species. I don't think it is. I think empathy demon more about the power. Right, right. I think what that means is there are probably several species of demons that have the power of empathy and he's one of them. And so is Lauren, which explains why, because I, I, I think people have wondered, 
why does like Lauren doesn't look anything like Barney and vice versa. How can they both be empath demons? But I think it's just, they both are demons that have the power of empathy. Yeah. Um, anything else about this episode? We get a, a fun scene of them rescuing Cordelia and we slowly integrate, we're slowly integrating Wesley into the group that basically is Angel, Cordelia and Wesley who are basically three very lonely people. Yes. In the city of Los Angeles, and now we're slowly joining them. So the Whedon, yeah. the Whedon shows consistently managed to make, uh, like the dining table, one of the most emotionally resonant settings. Um, I mean, I'm thinking obviously in Firefly, there are a lot of scenes set around the dining table, on Serenity, that are very just like heartfelt and warm and emotional and and comfortable and the end scene in this uh is one where obviously we get the humor of wesley trying to drag out his farewell in the hopes that somebody will ask him to stay exactly um but that leads to it's very brief but that leads to a really heartwarming a really like just lovely moment of the three of them three friends who've been through some shit (laughs) uh, just enjoying their company, just sitting at the dining room table, having breakfast, feeling good. And yeah. it's, it's really, that stuff is really emotional. Uh, and I love it anytime these shows manage to pull that off. So I really liked that scene. Setting up the new family. Basically. Yes. Yep. Um, all right. Uh, should we move on? Let's move on to the next episode. Okay. So Somnambulist. Uh, aired January 18th, 2000. So yeah, there was a holiday hiatus between, um, between parting gifts and some names. 11 and 12, uh, 10 and 11. It, it, 10 right. And 11. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was written by Tim Minear, which is always good. Uh, directed by mm-hmm. Winrick Colby. And a veteran writer from, I think, Star Trek TNG 24. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, has he... I recognize the name, so I feel like he must have done something like in Buffy. Did he I do anything in Buffy? Did more, I think he did more episodes of Angel later on. Oh, okay. I, I just I recognize the name, so I know yeah. that I've seen it somewhere. But um, um, yeah, this is a this was a weird episode where I remembered it as not being good. Like I remembered not particularly liking it, um, but on this rewatch, I really did. I really. I really kind of enjoyed this episode. I mean, there might be a couple reasons for that, but uh, I'll go to you first. How do you feel about oddly, this episode? Oddly, so, it has always been one of my favorite episodes, Angel. Really? Oddly. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Why? Um, we have the character played by Jeremy Rayner, who was a vampire sired by Angel. Yes. Something they... that I always thought that, we, that they would explore more during the seasons of Angel would be the different vampires that either are from the same lineage as Angel or someone that he ended up siring or more, more vampires from their, from their, is that their vampire family is essentially, but right. we never really get that. And he was one of the few that we actually got to see uh-huh. during this season. And this is also the episode that finally have Kate finding out about Angel being a vampire. Yes. Yep. And we have that, I don't know. Something about the final scene between Angel and Cordy solidifies solidifies so much about why I thought they were the Angel and Cordy always worked better as 
is that siblings rather than lovers. Angel and Cordy. Uh, yeah. Yes. So That's you're. Why I, I, I always felt awkward when they tried to pair them up as a couple during season three of Angel. So you're not one of the fans that loved the Cordy Angel pairing. Not as a couple. Okay. I like them as siblings or I, really good friends. I I don't know how to explain that, but no, no, that makes sense. I um I don't know if I. So I'm a hopeless romantic. So if I watch a, a long form show and they start hooking up two characters, I will probably, as I'm watching the show, at least I'll probably be rooting for these two crazy kids. Um, in hindsight with many years uh, behind me now, and we'll find out on this rewatch, but yeah, I don't, I don't think uh, some of this might be tainted knowledge because we know what, charisma carpenter's experience on the show was like behind the scenes and all that um and i don't think either one of us is particularly happy with large chunks of her story um in the future but yeah i don't necessarily think that i'm a big fan of the cordy and angel pairing but we'll see on this rewatch how it plays for me but um uh yeah so baby hawkeye (laughs) It's in the episode. Yeah, baby Hawkeye. Baby, he looks really, really young in this episode. He looks super young, and I can't believe... I'm sure I've noticed this before on, on previous rewatches, but it wasn't until like halfway through this episode that it even dawned on me. His little goatee, his little that, that cheesy little baby beard and mustache that he, that he was sporting kept throwing me off. And it wasn't until halfway through the episode that I realized what was really weird is that he had his imitation angel hair. He styled his hair the same as Angel, with the, <laughs> like sticking up all in weird. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I, you know, so when I noticed that, I was like, oh, my God, how did I not notice that before? That's so cheesy. <sighs> but I like Jeremy Renner and I love I like his character, Penn. Um, Concept wise, he's exactly as this Angelus carbon copy son almost. Yeah, I, I mean, as a comparison's sake, he is uh, offspring from Angelus, and not only from Angel siring him in the past, but all the training that the, even by those standards are very different from Spike or Drusilla. Right. Yeah, it sounds like I I don't know exactly. The, the the vampire timelines on both of these shows are a little fluid and hard to track sometimes, but um, I don't really know where the Angel Pen thing fits in the larger, you know, timeline timeline of of what Angel of what Angelus was doing back then. But it seems like in the limited flashbacks we get between the two that it's just Angelus and Pen. I don't think, and I can't remember ever hearing anytime in the future that any of the others were around when Penn, like when Angelus was training Penn. Um, so I feel like in my head, I'm going to imagine that this is after the whole spike Drusilla, like, like all that stuff went down and, and everybody had gone their separate ways and Angel was trying to create his own little mini me, which is why he was training. It's why Penn Penn's first like big, murder was his family just like just like angelus did with his family and uh and i think this might be i feel like it had been maybe talked about with fans 
before, but I feel like this is the first time that we get something close to a confirmation that um, the angel Angelus name and his sort of well, well, so so Penn carves a cross in his victim's face, uh, and it's I don't remember if it was explicitly shown, but it's certainly implied that Angelus taught him to do that. And when... Yes, but the way Wesley recognized the, the the MO from those killings, he yeah. immediately associated with the way Angelus used to conduct his killings in the past. Okay, yeah. Um, and then when he's in the police station with uh, Kate, and he sees the crime scene photos and recognizes the cross or whatever, and Kate is talking about how, yeah, he carves a Christian cross on their faces, he's obviously he obviously thinks he's doing God's work and angel just sort of mutters, no, he's mocking God. Um, because he recognizes what that is and why, and he knows that he's the one that train. you know, it's his MO. So he knows what it's about. So anyways, where I'm going with this is I feel like, uh, it all but confirms that Angelus's obsession with nuns and convents and <laughs> uh and christian symbology and the whole name angelus and all that uh was inspired by his desire to mock god yes so most likely yeah um another interesting thing is the fact that angel explains that he used to feel a connection with the vampires that he sired Yes. Um, which, uh, if you're if you want to try and nitpick it, I actually think I have a way around the nitpicking because some people might say, "Well, then why can't he sense Spike?" Well, because he didn't actually <laughs> sire Spike. No, um, Drusilla or Drusilla. Um, I don't know if we. I can't remember if that ever plays a role. But I know that when Darla comes back. Um, she manages to track Angel down. I mean, you know, she's hundreds of years old. She has any number of uh, ways of tracking people down. But it just seems telling that Darla, who sired Angel, is able to track him down in a city of millions and millions of people. Uh, and she basically just comes right to him. So I, I don't think they ever say this, but it could be that in the vampire mythology of the Whedonverse vampires can sort of sense their children, their direct the sirees. vampires, sirees or whatever. Yeah. So I don't know. I just, I, I'm always looking for little bits of mythology that makes sense to me. And, and I latched onto that. I thought that was pretty cool. And what? we finally get Kate finding out about this other side of Los yes. Angeles. Yes. Which I, I have watched Angel multiple times, but I still, as I was watching this, um, I was like, oh man, is this, is this the episode where, again, spoilers, <laughs> is this the episode where Angel stands outside her door desperate to get in, desperate for her to invite him while someone kills her in front of him or whatever? Because I know that's a thing that, that's a really cool scene that eventually happens. Um, and I couldn't remember how far off we are from that so like when he comes to her apartment and i think it's next season because we get kate into us i think mid season two. Oh, really i think so okay wow i i possibly i don't know 
I was expecting I'm, her to to go away and haven't watched watched the next few episodes in a while. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, again, my brain is a sieve. I can't hold on to this stuff. So, I for some reason I kept thinking that was going to be this episode. I mean, we do get a scene with Angel going to Kate, and not being invited into her apartment. Um, which, like I said, I was like, oh, is this is this that moment or is this the episode where that happens? Obviously it's not, but it is foreshadowing for that. Um, we do see that uh, she po- very pointedly does not invite him into her apartment. Um, so The timeline of these episodes is a little bit weird because... Once Kate learned about the vampires, she started start doing a lot of research. But I don't know how long that she takes. But after a while, she's aware of the basic rules. Yeah. But it seems that she's reading a lot of things that it might take a while. And I'm not sure if the compressed time of the start and the end of the episode, everything fits together. Right. I mean, they give us that sort of musical montage as she's doing her research, which is supposed to imply the passage of time. But yeah, I don't know if the rest of the episode, like all the other characters don't appear to have gone through any sort of extended, uh, time period, but exactly. Um, it's also interesting. I think it's next episode. I think it's, it, it, where was it? What episode was it? One of these three episodes features, um, oh crap, it might have been uh, Parting Gifts, where Wesley bursts into a room and he's like, oh, I invite you in. And Angel's like, it's a vampire's house. I don't. Oh, it is. It has yeah, to be this, this episode because it's Ben. This, this one, when they're tracking, they're finally tracking out Penn and they head to his apartment and they find him and Wesley does that. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and Angel's like, it's a vampire's place. I don't need permission. like i don't need to be invited so it's interesting that kate does all this research and figures out enough to know that angel can't come into her apartment without being invited and wesley who's a watcher who has been a watcher uh sort of whiffed that one (laughs) i don't i mean you could write it off as wesley is just sort of bumbling in more ways than one but still it was weird that kate figured it out and wesley seemed to momentarily forget oh yeah he can come in now but he can't come in without an invitation. So, and then we have the scene in, in the first confrontation between Kate, Penn, and Angel flying in to save her. Right. Uh, Kate basically shoots Penn on the chest, mm-hmm. and he's unarmed. I think that scene was a little bit shocking. It, it because, was. I mean, because this was this was right. This was even before she found out Angel was a vampire. Right. Yeah. That moment, and she's a cop shooting a, an armed assailant, for that sake. But she shoots him in the chest. Actually, multiple times, like three times, I think. Way. Yeah, three times. Yeah, that was um, a little bit shocking. I mean, uh, it is very early 2000 when this is on the air. So maybe our sensibilities were different, but I think we can also agree that Kate is something of a hothead, like impulsive. I mean, just the fact that she continually, and especially in this episode walks into a dangerous situation. Like here, they've got, you know, this killer surrounded with all, with all backup. Yeah. And everyone's like holding the perimeter. And she's like, I'm going in. (laughs) 
<laughs> and all the cops are like, all right, whatever. Do what you want to do. But you're right. She does. I mean, she gives him several warnings. She's like, don't move. I will shoot, which, you know, I don't, I don't know. But she does blow him away multiple times. Um, but all in all, that was a I really liked that sequence. I mean, you could argue that there that Angel could have been a lot smarter about how he approached that fight. Like he could have pretended to be Angelus. I feel like this is a thing he's done other times where he's where someone thinks he's Angelus and he plays along with it to get the upper hand. But he just comes right in and Penn's like, Angelus, what are you doing here? No, I'm not Angelus. I'm, I'm not Angelus. I'm here to kick your ass or whatever. Um, it could be smoother. Yeah, he, he could have he could have played that smarter. But the fight yeah. sequence was great. Um, and actually, that whole thing. uh or one of the two big fights between the three of them. I can't remember which one it was featured angel climbing, uh, a pipe on the outside of the building, like climbing up the wall of the building. Yes. And, uh, I thought it was really well done. Like I, just the stunt work there. It was believable. It didn't look like someone who was being hoisted by a wire pretending to hold onto the pipe. I just thought it was really, those are the little details that I enjoy. I thought that was well done. There were a few really cool stunt work in this episode yeah. between the fights and all the climbing. Yeah. Um, Something that times make, make the episode a little bit time sensitive is all those newspaper clippings that they were gathering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they goofed those up a few times too. I, I didn't notice as I was watching, but in, in, researching the episode i think that there were some snafus where like i think someone said that the the paper that wesley originally sees um you know is supposed to be today's edition today's paper and then later on in the episode they pull out an old like yellowed newspaper and it's the same newspaper they just reused the same paper <laughs> in a later scene and made it look old or whatever. So I don't know. I, I didn't necessarily notice that, but I did see people point out that there were a lot of gaffes with the newspapers. <laughs> that was funny, but that's fine. They've gotten a little bit better with their computer stuff. Not much, but a little bit better. It was 1999 after all. Yeah. 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 Early two thousands. Um, what else did we get? Oh yeah. Um, no more Glenn Quinn in the opening titles. Exactly. Alexis Denisoff makes his official debut in the opening credits, um, and and gets to be included in the the requisite power walk of all the main characters in the opening credits. There always has to be that moment where they all like shrug on their coats and go to work. Slow motion. That's right, and uh, he gets to be in it. So that's awesome. Um, what else? What else did we get out of this? The final fight between Penn and Angel. Uh, Kate fin- Kate gets to basically kill kill Penn by staking both of them together. Yes, an interesting tactic. And we get the final talk between Cordy and Angel, which is a favorite scene of mine. Why is that? The balcony. About. I, I like the bit about Cordy saying, "If he turns him, I'll I'll kill him. I'll kill if you right away." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry. So another thing I'd read is that um, this episode was written, like Tim Minear had written this episode earlier before they had killed off uh, Doyle. And so there were a lot of scenes in this that had originally been meant for Doyle. 
including that last scene that was originally going to be Doyle and Angel having that conversation. Um, and so Minear did a rewrite and swapped some Doyle stuff out to Wesley and some stuff to uh, Cordy, but it would have been a cute scene between Doyle and Angel, like having that moment. Um, but we'd already had, I think, more than one scene like that between Doyle and Angel. And so, again, sad that we had to kill Doyle in order to get Cordy <laughs> to have that scene. But I think that scene actually works better with Cordy in the role. It makes their, their, their relationship a little bit stronger. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I couldn't help. <laughs> I couldn't. I'm a fan of the 80s television series Beauty and the Beast. Did you, I don't know if you're familiar with that or if you've ever yes, watched. Yes, I know that one with uh, Linda Hamilton. Uh, yeah. Yes, Linda Hamilton and and uh, Ron Perlman. Ron Perlman, Perlman, Perlman. Yeah, um, and there were multiple episodes of that series that featured a scene of the two of them on a balcony overlooking New York, and uh, it's not, I'm sure, but that scene looked very, very familiar. Like it, it almost looked like it was maybe the same stage with the same trans light behind him. I don't know. Um, it's been a while since I've watched Beauty and the Beast, but it was kind of weird to to suddenly picture Cordelia as Linda Hamilton and uh, David Boreanaz as Ron Perlman in Catface. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, wait, one funny line I forgot. Like, I, I usually try to keep track of some amusing or meaningful quotes from each episode. Literally, the only quote from this one that I have written down is Cordelia's, I don't want to stick around for your nocturnal commissions. And I'm, <laughs> that's a hilarious line, and I am so upset. So when I, when I was putting this whole podcast together, I had a list of maybe a dozen possible names and, you know, obviously settled on conversations with dead people, which I think is great. But I, it pains me that I... N- had never put nocturnal commissions as one of the possibilities for a podcast <laughs> title. It would have taken a lot of explanation, I'm sure, but still that's it's more, uh, is a more obscure reference. Yes. Uh, it still would have been fun. So, all right. Uh, on to the next one. On to the next one. All right. So expecting originally aired on January 25th, 2000 written by Howard Gordon, uh, directed by, by David Semmel, and um, guest guest starring Ken Marino of all people. Oh yeah, that was <laughs> I didn't remember that. I didn't remember Ken Marino was the cut right the the Wilson Christopher guy. Yeah, <laughs> Ken Marino is one of those actors that just pops up in all sorts of things, and I'm like, he was in this. How did I not? I know don't that? remember that. Yeah, it was the most shocking thing when I started this episode. <laughs> all right, so uh, how do you feel about this one? I. I remember not enjoying it when I first watched it, but in this rewatch, I really liked the episode. Okay, it was it was a, a, a it's the first first mystical pregnancy for Cordelia. First, yeah, yeah. I don't know how I feel about that, but it was her first mystical pregnancy in which she got pregnant in twenty four less than twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I know that. Um... It's a somewhat controversial episode simply because of the context it plays in having watched the rest of the show. I know a lot of people exactly. knowing what Cordy goes through over the course of the series, uh, you know, when you revisit, you're like, oh, man, this is just where it started. But if you sort of remove 
that foreknowledge exactly. and just watch it as a standalone. It's a fun episode. episode if you ignore that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's still, it is a little bit, uh, I don't know. I guess I can't 100% remove that knowledge from my head because I, I did find myself, even as I was trying to just watch this as an episode, I was like, it is still kind of gross that they do this to poor Cordy. But um, I feel like, the the mystical pregnancy is a thing that genre shows like they're almost required to do like you have to if you've got a show that's got weird science or magic in it someone has to get like impregnated within 24 hours and have some demon or cyborg baby or something so it literally was only a matter of time before this was going to happen it was a trope it's it's a trope but um but yeah i, no, I like agree that they're still keeping to tr- during the scenes inside Cordelia's apartment, they're still trying to bring in Dennis, Invisible Friends. Yes. I, can... I miss that. I miss they doing that more in the later seasons. Yeah. I can't, rem- I can't remember when the last picture. time. I can't remember when the last time. Like, I don't remember Dennis's arc. I don't remember how much of him we get. Um, not a lot. Not a lot. Okay. Not, not enough. I continue. Not enough. I continue to wish that he had been made more prominent, like even to the point where, and I think that I, I think I always felt this way from even the first time I watched the show to the point of maybe wishing that he had been Cordy's boyfriend. Like instead of trying to hook Cordy up with all these, uh, douche bros of the week or even angel that she had just, they had just allowed her to have a relationship, a quote-unquote relationship with Dennis. Let them be a couple um, and, and find a way to integrate Dennis into the story. I don't know. I, I love Phantom Dennis, and I really wish we could get more of him. Me too. And it's, it's really touching. It's, and, a, it's, a, it's a fortunate that he basically gets forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wish they... Especially uh, after his... The episode he was introduced shows him as a as a victim from his mother and all, and yeah, it would be interesting to show a little bit of growth, especially after the, he was liberated by the Cordy. I'm almost positive when we when I talked about that episode, um, Room with a View, that I said, uh, you know, I I have a habit of lamenting the spinoffs that should have been or whatever. And I, I'm almost positive I brought up the fact that I would have watched or read some sort of spinoff material of the adventures of Phantom Dennis. Absolutely, <laughs> 100%. Anyways, so however controversial or not controversial the subject matter of the episode is, I agree, it's a good episode. Um, if for no other reason, then we get a lot of like genuine sort of like family moments. I mean, there's even a scene where Angel says... Uh, they say, are you her boyfriend? And he's like, no, I'm family. And, uh, and Alexis Denisov gives a, an early indicator of just how, how nuanced a performance he's going to be able to give in future episodes when they discover pregnant uh, Cordy and she's blaming herself. She's like, I'm being punished for this. And his delivery of the line, you're certainly not being punished is just tugs in my heartstrings. I have a soft spot for Wesley. I admit I'm I biased, but I thought that was a great delivery and the, the genuine concern and love and, and uh, desire to protect Cordy that uh, both angel and Wesley. 
demonstrate on this is really touching. The final battle against the demon is interesting because we have this episode that was directed by David Simmel, who will work a lot with Mutant Enemy. His mm -hmm. most recent work was actually episode three and four of The Nevers. Oh, dang. I'm watching those, that show. I'm those, watching that yeah. show and I didn't notice that. Wow. One of those, it was the episode we had that really gorgeous battle in the lake. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it was one of his episodes. Uh, it's an interesting contrast from a more current show to something that was adapted in the late 90s. Yeah. In which we have those warehouses uh -huh. and <laughs> all, all the pregnant women yeah. gathered inside a, a giant bathtub. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we can't forget how funny this episode is in the beginning. I love the cold open with Angel and Wesley going to investigate. Well, actually, first we get bumbling Wesley in the office when Cordy's friends show up and he like swings the ax and it gets stuck in the wall and uh, fails to, to follow up on the whole, um, you know, that, that uh, not Hugh Jackman. What's his name? Hugh Grant. One of the girls says that whole Hugh Grant thing is really working for me. And Wesley doesn't <laughs> know what to do with that. Anyways, that's all funny. But then they go to the apartment complex to try and find the egg and I just thought that whole bit, you know, we get to see the whole the whole fight played out as shadows through the window um, and Wesley getting kicked through the door and rushing back into the fight. Saying, and before oh, you'll that, pay for they kick the door from the wrong house first before entering the correct house where the, the egg thing was happening. That's right. That's right. That was all fun stuff. Um, that was a nice bit. And the friends with Cordelia, uh, it always, it, it, it's an issue that sometimes they try to bring in the larger world into mm -hmm. our core cast, but then these people basically disappear later. Right, yeah. It's rare that they keep this, these segments of, of the larger world integrated into the show later on. Yeah. This will happen, I think, later on with when they bring that, and Chanterelle, or I forget what was her third name in the show. She was a character from the larger world that gets brought in later on. Right. I can't remember. Her... I can't remember what her name in this show ends up being. Eh, yes. But yeah, she does come back. Um, they also, I, I cannot remember the character's name, but they've got that one rich guy that plays D&D &D that comes back for several episodes. Yeah, he was supposed to be a... A more regular fixture coming into season two, but he he doesn't stick in. Uh, they just keep gun. I think one of the rumors around the end of season one was we're getting new regular characters, and one of them is gun, and the other one is this D and D guy. That's a he shame. I mean, I I I adore gun. Obviously, I don't want to lose gun, but I wish we could have. I wish they'd made that guy a regular because I he's fun, and I think we see him. I think he comes back like two or three times, so he's. A minor recurring character, but yeah. Minor, yeah. Um, anyways, so this one, um, we get an early. So in last episode, it was played for, or in the the, in parting gifts, it was played for laughs. The fact that Wesley is a tough guy, uh, with the leather, uh, the leather jacket and boots and all that. Um, 
But in that episode, we see that he's a good shot with a crossbow. Because when he finally got his hands back on that crossbow, he did manage to shoot that demon center mass, like right in the center of the chest. Um, and then in this, we get to see for the first time Wesley with a gun. Uh, and he proves that he's a good shot. He's a crack shot with a firearm, which is a thing that is both interesting because of the history of firearms in these shows. Like on Buffy, firearms were never, guns were never a good thing. Um, on Angel, particularly in the hands of Wesley, guns become a thing. And uh, I, I just thought it was interesting that uh, as early That's as true. his third episode, they are already setting up that Wesley's good with guns. <laughs> yes. I think the most disturbing part of this episode were actually those men that were working with the demons to mm. impregnate women. Ken Marino and his boys. Yes. Ken Marino always has to play a slime. <laughs> even, when <he's> a, <laughs> even when he's a good guy, he's always a slime. Which is another reason why it was weird when he first popped up. And I was like, oh, man, is he actually playing like a sympathetic character? Is he a good guy? No way. Um, but, yeah, no, those guys are gross. Um, and it was fun to watch Angel hand each of them their asses. Um, it's especially disturbing in this hindsight post Me Too about choice, about women being basically explored and mm -hmm. it's just very disturbing about how were they handling this yeah 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 um and then the final scene in um yet another big cavernous warehouse with a vat full of bad smelling liquid of some kind and a bunch of women in white robes um, so how do you feel about the, the final confrontation, the big fight at the end? It was a creative fight, considering their limitations with special effects. Yeah. I wonder how how practical was actually that demon. Because we sh they do show him being being smashed with, with the boulder, with the thing. Mm -hmm. He gets frozen, the, the demon gets frozen, again, then gets smashed. I wonder how much was practical and how much was actually digital. Uh, it was a little bit iffy. I, I don't know how I don't know how much digital stuff they used or even had access to at this particular time. Um, yeah, other than dusting the dusting vampires. Yeah, that's true. I guess that's all <laughs> digital or some sort of um, special effect. But I think that was mostly practical. Um, like I got the impression it was obviously a guy in a suit that they just shot and then superimposed at a larger size. The suit was a little questionable having that. Like when you're watching the demon try to talk and he's just got this gigantic grin of teeth with this little, these really thin lips drawn back over the teeth and like the, the upper right corner of his mouth sort of wiggles whenever he's speaking. I was like, okay, that just looks bad. That was a poor choice. You could have had him speak telepathically or something. Trying mm -hmm. to make that mask's mouth move while he talks was not your best use of those practical effects. Um but yeah, it was fun. It's um it, it was a fun little confrontation at the end and all three of them got to play their role. I'm glad that Cordy was the one. So Obviously, Angel throws the liquid nitrogen, which 
Good thing Wasn't part of the plan included the demon catching that. <laughs> it still it still amuses me that they're like, all right, I have this master plan. I'm going to throw this thing at the demon. He's going to catch and it. Demon, he has to catch it. it has he, to he's, catch he's not going to just bat it away or let it just bounce off his chest. He's going to catch it. And then Wesley gets to shoot the thing. And then, of course, Cordy gets to smash him once he's frozen. So that was good. And I cannot remember... Um, Let's talk about the end of the episode because I actually can't remember what it was. Me neither. I watched. Oh no! It. I watched them like two weeks ago. <laughs> oh no! I think, um, I think they went back to the office. I think it was like the uh, the next day in the office, and Cordy comes in, and Wesley and Angel are both like, "Oh, you don't know. You should take some more time off. It's okay." And she's like, "No, I've got this. I'm all right." And then she teases them by saying she has a date later with a guy who's like really keen on impregnating her with his demon spawn or whatever. Um, so I think it was just sort of a f- kind of fun, lighthearted uh, reminder of the family unit. I don't remember there being anything. Uh, by this point in early 2000, we already knew that the series was was getting a full season of 22 episodes okay. instead of an initial order of 13. So it was an interesting way to set up the next next. Fo- following following events from this season yeah so yeah that's uh let's let's talk about your perspective since you were so you were so in it with the fan community and everything at the time like do you remember how well received these episodes were at the time it's weird because not everybody who was a Buffy fan was also an Angel fan. Right. And there were also people coming in from for Angel instead of watching Buffy, which was interesting, especially in Brazil, because we curiously because we got the shows a little bit later. Mm-hmm. The shows were, were airing on the on the WB late ninety nine and early two thousand. We're actually getting them like March, April because we're getting dubbed. Oh, okay. And then Buffy never got to be shown. Uh, both both Buffy and Angel they used to be shown on our cable network, which was Fox. Okay. Which was was a close cable network, and but then Angel got licensed by one of the open networks to be shown um, during during the afternoon shows or, or evening shows. I don't remember, but then they got. The broadcast from Angel got butchered because they got time constraints and censorship. I don't know why. And the show got butchered during the broadcast in the open channel. Ugh. It was weird. But but that even that, even though even though that happened with the, sh- with the first, uh, I think they showed the first 10 or 12 episodes from the season during a few weeks. Even by those standards, a lot of people got brought in into the fandom community back then. Okay. And some of my friends, they actually learned about the Buffyverse through Angel during those broadcasts. Okay. That's interesting. Um, so you don't, you don't remember there being any kind of... Like the fans that knew what was going on, you don't remember there being any big backlash against these or anything like that not specifically i'm asking because i don't genuinely remember what fans thought of these three episodes 
um, my memory is so spotty of the original airing of this stuff that uh, for these three, I have no memory whatsoever of what like the fan community was saying. But um, in hindsight, I know that uh, we already mentioned expecting has kind of taken a dive because of the context. Um, and I think that parting gifts is probably held up as a great episode because it brings in Wesley. Um, my only awareness of sort of the fan response to somnambulist. Uh, I was so thrilled to hear you say it was one of like th- that you love the episode so much because I feel like Jeremy Renner, uh, like today, present day, Jeremy Renner has gotten a lot of backlash from fans, either because they are just being snarky about Hawkeye, a character that I love by the way, or I don't know if there's something about Jeremy Renner that's questionable, but regardless, I feel like a lot of people just like to pick nits with Jeremy Renner. And in hindsight, um, they look down on this episode because, Oh, that's Jeremy Renner. Gross. <laughs> Whatever. So I was thrilled to hear that you were so pleased with the episode. It was fun because especially talking about Jeremy Renner, uh, I think his Oscar nomination or when was even before he was cast as Hawkeye, I think. He's Oscar nominated? Uh, Are you serious? Yes, from that... I think he was nominated or something. And that... Or that, that, move, the move, that movie, at least, it was nominated. It was that year, the same year from Avatar. And Avatar lost to that movie. And... I remember a lot of people, hey, this is the guy that appeared on that episode of Angel. He was nominated. Hurt Locker. Yes, he was nominated Best Actor in the Hurt Locker and Best Supporting Actor uh, in 2011 for The Town. So yeah. can't believe I didn't think of Hurt Locker. Can't believe I didn't think of Hurt Locker. So anyways, so there you go, all you people that are thumbing your nose at Jeremy Renner. He's a, he was in the hurt locker, damn it. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah. So I actually really liked these three episodes. Um, I, I was one's a lot about the show finding itself. Yeah, of course. We got some iffy episodes coming ahead. Have some what episodes? Iffy. Iffy episodes. Yeah. I agree. Uh, like the next batch in particular, I think potentially carry some an iffy episode or two i'm not going <laughs> to spoil my feelings on the next three episodes that uh, i'm going to discuss but i will just tell you that one of them is not my favorite um however we also have later on in this season uh closer to the end of this season we have one of the episodes that is my favorite episode of any joss whedon show ever so you have that to look forward to um and I don't know, I don't remember, I know you've signed up for other stuff, but I don't remember if I've got you for more uh, season one. I know I'm back for season two, but I don't know if I'm still, uh, if I have episodes in season one. Okay. Well, I've, uh, I've been losing, I'm... I've been losing potential guests <laughs> recently, people that had signed up years ago when I first yeah, started this. Yeah, especially after the fandom meltdown, so it's harder to keep people around. Yes, exactly. But I'm still in. Okay. I'm still in. Okay. So I will... Um, I know you're on the schedule somewhere, uh, and I will let you if if I've got someone drop out. I'm sure out, season two I'm in because season two is the season of Pylea, and I'm at least in those episodes. Okay, excellent. 
Well, uh, sit by your phone and I'll call you if I <laughs> if any opening to gas, emergency gas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me know. I'll watch the episode and we'll talk a bit to yes. chat. Yes, excellent. And um, yeah, also still just need to get you back on Gobbledygeek. It's been forever i think have you ever been on that or were you on yes we did the gene we did american born chinese okay yes i knew i was about to say had you been on that or you've been on uh, avatar and we didn't have guests on avatar so i knew it wasn't that american born chinese okay excellent yeah so we need to get you back on there Mm -hmm. um all right well johnny thank you so much for uh for being so patient with me and coming back and for surviving the apocalypse. I'm glad that you've made it. I'm glad you're doing you're doing well. We're surviving. It's the way. <laughs> surviving, yes. Did you say it's the way? It's the way. <laughs> it's the way. This is the way. Um, all right. So are you watching The Nevers? Yes, I am. Okay. I not I don't know a lot of people who are, so when it comes time for me to want to talk about The Nevers, I, I'll have you back. I am watching The Nevers. Okay, excellent. So look forward to that in the future, listeners. Uh, in the meantime, is there anything that you want to say to the listeners? Anything you're pimping? or Any, se- any secret novels you've written? No secret novels. Oh, Just man. Working a lot, but happily working because we know how the world's doing right now. So yes. while we can survive doing yes. what we love, we can do it. All right, excellent. Thumbs up. So, yes, Johnny, thank you. And thank you, everybody at home, for listening. Uh, You can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Uh, While you're there, please rate us or write us a review. That really does uh, affect the algorithms, uh, which makes it much easier for people to find episodes of the show. So um, do your part, man. That's all I ask. Uh, if you have questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to join the conversation, you can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at conswithdead or reach out to us on Facebook at Conversations with Dead People. Um, next, the saint of angel studies, author Stacy Abbott, joins me to discuss what some consider maybe to be a uh, the low point of season one, maybe we're going to talk about episodes one thirteen, she one fourteen, I've got you under my skin, and one fifteen, the prodigal. So until then, remember, if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. I'm a raw kind of baby, like a black bear in the woods. Like a black bear in the wood Ain't nobody gonna scare me In my own neighborhood